0: The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams The podcast versions of the original Facebook Live readings during the coronavirus outbreak by Matthew Ogden, The Bearded Wit. Please bear in mind that as Facebook Live recordings, these are rough and ready. There are mistakes, there are a few trip-ups here and there, and there is laughter from the reader as he goes through and follows the humour himself, along with you, the listener. We hope you enjoy listening to these, and share liberally. Part 20 Good evening all. Good evening all, good evening all, good evening all. It's just gone nine o'clock on a Sunday evening, which means it must be time for this week's edition of The Continuing Thurgers of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Um, just waiting a couple of seconds to see if a few more people are joining before I crack on, but we seem to be populating nicely. Um, before we get into the business of the day, uh, as as were, um, just a little bit of a kind of obligatory advertising, sorry guys, for me. Um, if you are interested in becoming a, a patron um, of The Bearded Wit, enabling me to do lots more of this kind of stuff and keep doing it. Um, as I said last week, this is now fast becoming my uh, um, my way of life. Uh, and uh, it would help me enormously if, uh, and only if, you are able to become a patron. Um, and if you go to uh, Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash The Bearded Wit... Uh, and pick and choose uh, what sort of monthly subscription you'd like to take up. starts from $10, which is basically a a cup of coffee and a a bun from your favourite coffee and bun place. I can't do advertising, I suppose, so I should avoid (laughs) naming names. Uh, But if you are able to do that, that would be great. It would help me uh, keep doing this, um, and uh, I would be very grateful, of course, for any support that you can give. Not obligatory. Uh, but whatever you can give is great. Uh, I had a number of questions from from people about that. Uh, what happens if I fall ill again? Um, what happens to the payments? Uh, of course, I would let you know if I fall ill. And you can then... The thing to remember about being a patron on Patreon is that you have full control over your patronage at all times there's no leading period if you choose to stop it stops immediately Uh, you don't have to sort of have a a, a sort of an exit period on it so so you have full control over your patronage at all times Uh, uh, it's just if you can help of course i would appreciate that so that's uh, www.patreon.com forward slash thebeardedwit uh, and then you can find various levels at which, uh, if you choose, you can support me in the work that I'm doing for you here. Uh, that's that. Uh, lots of you are joining. Hello, everyone. Hello, James. Hello, Andrew. Hello, Katerina. Hello, Jason. Hello, Brenda. Hello, Mark. Hello, Marsha. Lots of lovely people. I do appreciate you coming along uh, on this journey with me. Uh, we started it back in the first lockdown. A lot of us are going into second lockdowns. Um, and the object of the exercise with this whole thing has always been to make it a little bit, a little bit more bearable and to feel a little bit, a little bit more connected uh, and what started off as a thing for, for me and my friends and my family has now become uh, a listenership into the tens of thousands around the world so I am uh, deeply, deeply humbled by all of that Right, all of that said and done shall we crack on with where we are in in the book. The book we are now in is uh, So Long and Thanks for All the Fish. We're up to chapter 9 in that. Um, Arthur Dent has been basically getting his sort of knees back under the table, as it were, after his adventures around the galaxy. Uh, And he has finally sort of figured out, he's found that his home is still there. Um, There was something or various things living in his fridge. Um, which didn 't move when he put them on a plate, so he ate them, but fortunately what uh, what had happened with those things is that they killed a very lethal virus that would have killed most of the planet half the planet and then rendered the other half blind. Uh, so um, Earth dodged a, a bullet with with uh, that particular uh, uh, fridge fridgeful he 's also um, gone back down to the pub, uh, but not before he rang up his colleagues uh, former colleagues at the BBC to say that uh, uh, he 'll be back to work after a sabbatical uh, and told them that he 'd gone mad. They said absolutely that sounds what we pretty much like what we thought had happened. Welcome home uh come in um in the spring so that 's what he 's done and he 's now gone down to the pub, walked in, and told them all that he 's been in Southern california and that 's where we pick up so we 're with Arthur at his pub. He accepted another pint and took a pull at it. Of course, I had my own personal alchemist, too. you odd. He was getting silly, and he knew it. Exuberance and Hall and Woodhouse best bitter was a mixture to be wary of, but one of the first effects it has is to stop you being wary of things, and the point at which Arthur should have stopped and explained no more was the point at which he started instead to get inventive. We've all been there. "'Oh, yes,' he insisted, uh, with a happy, glazed smile. "'It's why I've lost so much weight.' "'What?' said his audience. "'Oh, yes,' he said again. "'The Californians have rediscovered alchemy. "'Oh, yes,' he smiled again. "'Only,' he said, "'it's in in a much more useful form than that which in—' "'He paused thoughtfully to let a little grammar assemble in his head—' in which the ancients used to practice it, or at least, he added, failed to practice it. Uh, They couldn't get it to work, you know, Nostradamus and all that lot (laughs) couldn't cut it. Nostradamus, said one of his audience. "I I didn't think he was an alchemist, said another. I thought, said a third, he was a seer. He became a seer said Arthur to his audience, the component parts of which were beginning to bob and blur a little. Because he was such a lousy alchemist. You should know that. He took another pull at his beer. It was something he had not tasted for eight years. He tasted it, and he tasted it. What has alchemy got to do... "'asked a bit of the audience, with losing weight. "'Ah, I'm glad you asked that,' said Arthur, "'very glad, and I will now tell you "'while the connection is between... "'between those two things,' he said after a pause. "'The the things you mentioned, I'll tell you.' "'He paused and manoeuvred his thoughts. "'It was like watching oil tankers "'doing three-point turns in the English Channel.' They've discovered how to turn excess body fat into gold, he said, in a sudden blurt of coherence. You're kidding. Oh, yes, he said. Uh, No, he corrected himself. They have. He rounded on the doubting part of his audience, which was all of it, and so it took a little while to round on it completely. ''Have you been to California?'' he demanded. ''Do you know the sort of stuff they do there?'' Three members of his audience said they had and that he was talking nonsense. ''You haven't seen anything,'' insisted Arthur. ''Oh yes,'' he added, ''because someone was offering to buy...'' ''Oh sorry, i will try that again shall we?'' ''You haven't seen anything,'' insisted Arthur. Oh, yes, he added, because someone was offering to buy another round. Oh, yes. The evidence, he said, pointing at himself and not missing by more than a couple of inches, is before your eyes. Fourteen hours in a trance, he said, in a tank. In in a trance, I uh, I was in a tank, I think, he added after a thoughtful pause. I already said that, yes? He waited patiently whilst the next round was duly distributed. He composed the next bit of his story in his mind, which was going to be something about the tank needing to be oriented along a line dropped perpendicularly from the pole star to a baseline drawn between Mars and Venus, and was about to start trying to say it when he decided to give it a miss. I wish I had done so too. (laughs) Long time, he said instead, in a a tank, in a a trance. He looked round severely at his audience to make sure it was following attentively. He resumed. Where where was I? he said. In a trance, said one. In a tank, said another. Oh, yes, said Arthur, thank you. And slowly... He said, pressing onwards. Slowly, 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 all your excess body fat turns to. He paused for effect. Sub Q, sub U, sub 2 K. He paused for breath. <sighs> "'Subcutaneous gold, which you can then have surgically removed. "'Getting out of the tank is hell. "'What did you say? I, "'I i was just clearing my throat.' "'I think you doubt me.' "'I was clearing my throat.' "'She was clearing her throat, "'confirmed the significant, significant part of the audience in a low rumble. "'Oh, yes,' said Arthur. "'All, all right. "'And then you split the proceeds.' He paused again for a maths break. Fifty-fifty with the alchemist. Make a lot of money. He looked swayingly around at his audience and could not help but be aware of an air of scepticism about their jumbled faces. He felt very affronted by this. How else, he demanded, could I afford to have my face dropped? Friendly arms reached out and began to help him home. Listen, he protested as the cold February breeze brushed his face. Looking lived in is all of age in California at the moment. You've got to look as if you've seen the galaxy. Life, I mean. You've got to look as if you've seen life. That's what I've got. A face drop. Give me eight years, I said. I hope being thirty he doesn't come back into fashion, or I've wasted a lot of money. He lapsed into silence for a while, as the friendly arms continued to help him along the lane to his house. I got in yesterday, he mumbled. I'm very, 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 very happy to be home, or somewhere very like it. Jet lag muttered one of his friends. Long trip from California. Really mucks you up for a couple of days. I don't think he's been there at all, muttered another. I wonder where he has been and what's happened to him. After a little sleep, Arthur got up and pottered around the house a bit. He felt woozy and a little low, still disoriented by the journey. He wondered how he was going to find Fenny. He sat and looked at the fishbowl. He tapped it again, and despite being full of water and a small yellow babel fish which was gulping its way around rather dejectedly, it still chimed its deep and resonant chime as clearly and mesmerically as before. Someone is trying to thank me, he thought to himself. He wondered who... And for what? Slope of tea. Oh God, I do love tea. Anyway, we carry on. At the third stroke, it will be one thirty-two, and twenty seconds. Beep, beep, beep. Ford prefect suppressed a little giggle of evil satisfaction, realised that he had no reason to suppress it, and instead laughed out loud. A wicked laugh. He switched the incoming signal through from the sub-ethernet to the ship's superb hi-fi system, and the odd, rather stilted sing-song voice spoke out with remarkable clarity around the cabin. At the third stroke, it will be one, thirty-two, and thirty seconds. Beep! 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 He tweaked the volume up just a little, while keeping a careful eye on a rapidly changing table of figures on the ship's computer display. For the length of time he had in mind, the question of power consumption became significant. He didn't want a murder on his conscience. At the third stroke, it will be one thirty-two, and 40 seconds. Beep! 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 He checked around the small ship. He walked down the short corridor. At the third stroke, he stuck his head into the small, functional, gleaming steel bathroom. It will be... It sounded fine in there. He looked into the tiny sleeping quarters. One thirty-two, It sounded a bit muffled. There was a towel hanging over one of the speakers. He took down the towel. And 50 seconds. Fine. He checked out the packed cargo hold and wasn't at all satisfied with the sound. There was altogether too much crated junk in the way. He stepped back out and waited for the door to seal. He broke open a closed control panel and pushed the jettison button. He didn't know why he hadn't thought of that before. A whooshing, rumbling noise died away quickly into silence, and after a pause, a slight hiss could be heard again. It stopped. He waited for the green light to show, and then opened the door again onto the now empty cargo hold. One thirty-three and fifty seconds very nice. Beep, beep, beep. He then went and had a last thorough examination of the emergency suspended animation chamber, which was where he particularly wanted it to be heard. At the third stroke, it will be one thirty-four, Precisely. He shivered as he peered down through the heavily frosted covering at the dim bulk of the form within. One day, who knew when, it would wake. And when it did, it would know what time it was. Not exactly local time, true, but what the heck. He double-checked the computer display above the freezer bed, dimmed the lights, and checked it again. At the third stroke it will be, he tiptoed out and went to the control cabin, one thirty-four and twenty seconds. The voice sounded as clear as if he was hearing it over a phone in London, which he wasn't, not by a long way. He gazed out into the inky night. The star the size of a brilliant biscuit-crumb he could see in the distance was Zondostina, or as it was known on the world from which the rather stilted sing-song voice was being perceived, Pleiades Zeta. The bright orange curve that filled over half the visible area was the giant gas planet Sassafras Magna, where the Zanzixian battleships docked, and just rising over its horizon was a small blue moon, Eepen. At the third stroke, it will be... For twenty minutes he sat and watched as the gap between the ship and Epen closed, as the ship's computer teased and needed the numbers that would bring it into a loop around the little moon, closed the loop and keep it there, orbiting in perpetual obscurity. One of 59, his original plan had been to close down all external signalling and radiation from the ship, to render it as nearly invisible as possible unless you were actually looking at it. But then he'd had an idea he preferred. It would now emit one single continuous beam, pencil-thin, broadcasting the incoming time signal to the planet of the signal's origin, which it would not reach for 400 years, travelling at light speed, but where it would probably cause something of a stir when it did. Beep! 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 He sniggered. He didn't like to think of himself as the sort of person who giggled and sniggered, but he had to admit that he had been giggling and sniggering almost continuously for well over half an hour now. At the third stroke, the ship was now locked almost perfectly into its perpetual orbit around a little-known and never-visited moon. Almost perfect. Only one thing remained he ran again to the computer simulation sorry he ran again the computer simulation of the launching of the ship's little escapeo buggy balancing actions reactions tangential forces all the mathematical poetry of motion and saw that it was good before he left he turned out the lights As his tiny little cigar tube of an escape craft zipped out on the beginning of its three day journey to the orbiting space station Port Sassafron, it rode for a few seconds a long pencil thin beam of radiation that was starting out on a longer journey still. At the third stroke it will be two thirteen and fifty seconds. He giggled and sniggered. He would have laughed out loud, but he didn't have the room. Beep, beep, beep. April showers I hate especially. However noncommittally Arthur grunted, the man seemed determined to talk to him. He wondered if he should get up and move to another table, but there didn't seem to be one free in the whole cafeteria. He stirred his coffee fiercely. "'Bloody April showers! Hate! Hate! Hate!' Arthur stared, frowning out of the window. A light, sunny spray of rain hung over the motorway. Two months he'd been back now. Slipping back into his old wife had in fact been laughably easy. People had such extraordinarily short memories, including him.' Eight years of crazed wanderings around the galaxy now seemed to him not so much like a bad dream as like a film he had videotaped from the TV and kept in the back of a cupboard without bothering to watch. One effect that still lingered, though, was his joy at being back. Now that the Earth's atmosphere had closed over his head for good, he thought, wrongly, everything within it gave him extraordinary pleasure – Looking at the silvery sparkle of the raindrops, he felt he had to protest. "'Well, I like them,' he said suddenly, "'and for all the obvious reasons. "'They're light and refreshing. "'They sparkle and and make you feel good.' The man snorted derisively. "'That's what they all say,' he said, "'and glowered darkly from his corner seat. "'He was a lorry-driver.' Arthur knew this because his opening, unprovoked remark had been, I'm a lorry driver. I hate driving in the rain. Ironic, isn't it? Bloody ironic. If there was a sequitur hidden in his remark, Arthur had not been able to divine it and had merely given a little grunt. Affable but not encouraging. But the man had not been deterred then and was not deterred now. They all, say that about april, they all say that about bloody aprils they all say that about bloody april showers he said so bloody nice so bloody refreshing such charming bloody weather he leaned forward screwing his face up as if he was going to say something extraordinary about the government what i want to know is this he said If it's going to be nice weather, why, he almost spat, can't it be nice without bloody raining? Arthur gave up. He decided to leave his coffee, which was too hot to drink quickly and too nasty to drink cold. Ah, well, there you go, he said, and instead got up himself. Bye! He stopped off at the service station shop, then walked back through the car park, making a point of enjoying the fine play of rain on his face. There was even, he noticed, a hint of a rainbow glistening over the Devon hills. He enjoyed that, too. He climbed into his battered but adored old black Golf GTI, squealed the tyres and headed out past the islands of petrol pumps and into the slip road, back towards the motorway. He was wrong in thinking that the atmosphere of the Earth had closed finally and forever above his head. He was wrong to think it would ever be possible to put behind him the tangled web of irresolutions into which his galactic travels had dragged him. He was wrong to think he could now forget that the big, hard, oily, dirty, rainbow-hung Earth on which he lived was a microscopic dot on a microscopic dot, lost in the unimaginable infinity of the universe. He drove on, humming, being wrong about all of these things. The reason he was wrong was standing by the slip road under a small umbrella. His jaw sagged. He sprained his ankle against the brake pedal and skidded so hard he very nearly turned the car over. Fanny! he shouted. Having narrowly avoided hitting her with the actual car, he hit her instead with the car door as he leant across and flung it open at her. It caught her hand and knocked away her umbrella, which then bowled wildly away across the road. "'Shit!' yelled Arthur as helpfully as he could, leapt out of his own door, narrowly avoided being run down by McKenna's all-weather haulage, and watched in horror as it ran down Fenny's umbrella instead. The lorry swept along the motorway and away. The umbrella lay like a recently swatted Daddy Longlegs, expiring sadly on the ground. Tiny gusts of wind made it Twitch a little. He picked it up. Oh, he said. There didn't seem to be a lot of point of offering the thing back to her. How did you know my name? She said. Oh, well, he said. Look, I'll get you another one. He looked at her and tailed off. She was tallish, with dark hair, which fell in waves around a pale and serious face. Standing still, alone, she seemed almost sombre, like a statue to some important but unpopular virtue in a formal garden. She seemed to be looking at something other than what she looked as if she was looking at. When she smiled, as she did so now, it was as if she suddenly arrived from somewhere. Warmth and life flooded into her face, and impossibly graceful movement into her body. The effect was very disconcerting, and it disconcerted Arthur like hell. She grinned, tossed her bag into the back, and swivelled herself into the front seat. Don't worry about the umbrella, she said to him as she cried in. It was my brother's, and he can't have liked it, or he wouldn't have given it to me. She laughed and pulled on her seatbelt. belt. You're not a friend of my brother's, are you? No. Her voice was the only part of her which didn't say, Good. Her physical presence there in the car, his car, was quite extraordinary to Arthur. He felt, as he let the car pull away slowly, that he could hardly think or breathe, and hoped that neither of these functions were vital to his driving or they were in serious trouble so what he had experienced in the other car her brother's car the night he'd returned exhausted and bewildered from his nightmare years in the stars had not been the unbalance of the moment or if it had been he was at least as twice as unbalanced now and quite liable to fall off, fall off whatever it is that well-balanced people are supposed to be balancing on so he said, hoping to kick the conversation off to an exciting start. He was meant to pick me up, my brother, but phoned to say he couldn't make it, and I asked about buses, but the man started to look at a calendar rather than a timetable. So I decided to hitch. So. So. So, here I am. And what I would like to know is how you know my name. "'Perhaps we ought to first sort out,' said Arthur, "'looking back over his shoulder as he eased his car into the motorway traffic. "'Where I'm taking you?' "'Very close,' he hoped. "'Or a long way. "'Close would mean she lived near him. "'A long way would mean he could drive her there.' "'I'd like to go to Taunton,' she said. "'Please, if that's all right. "'It's not far. You you can drop me at... "'You live in Taunton?' he said, hoping that he'd managed to sound merely curious rather than ecstatic. Taunton was wonderfully close to him. He could... ''No, London,'' she said. ''There's a train in just under an hour.'' It was the worst thing possible. Taunton was only minutes away up the motorway. He wondered what to do, and while he was wondering with horror heard himself saying, ''Oh, I can take you to London. Let me take you to London.'' bungling idiot why on earth had he said let in that stupid way he was behaving like a 12 year old are you going to london she asked i wasn't he said but bungling idiot it's very kind of you she said but really no i like to go by train and suddenly she was gone Or rather, that part of her which brought her to life was gone. She looked rather distantly out of the window and hummed lightly to herself. He couldn't believe it. Thirty seconds into the conversation, and already he'd blown it. Grown men, he told himself, in flat contradiction to centuries of accumulated evidence about the way grown men behave... Do not behave like this. Taunton, five miles, said the signpost. He gripped the steering wheel so tightly the car wobbled. He was going to have to do something dramatic. Fenny, he said. She glanced around sharply at him. You still haven't told me how... Listen, said Arthur. I will tell you though the story is rather strange. Very strange. She was still looking at him, but said nothing. Listen, you said that. Did I? Oh, there are things I must talk to you about, and things I must tell you. A a story I must tell you which would... He was thrashing about. He wanted to say something along the lines of "'Thy knotted and combined locks to part, "'and each particular hair to stand on end "'like quills upon the fretful porpentine,' "'but didn't think he could carry it off "'and didn't like the hedgehog reference. "'Which would take more than five miles,' "'he settled for in the end. "'Rather lamely, he was afraid. "'Well... "'Just supposing he said just supposing he didn't know what was coming next so he thought he'd just sit back and listen that there was some extraordinary way in which you were very important to me and that though you didn't know it I was very important to you But it all went for nothing because we only had five miles and I was a stupid idiot at knowing how to say something very important to something I've only just met and not crash into lorries at the same time. What would you say? He paused helplessly and looked at her. I should do. Watch the road, she yelped. Shit! He narrowly avoided careering into the side of a hundred Italian washing machines in a German lorry. I think, she said with a momentary sigh of relief, you should buy me a drink before my train goes. Morty. There is, for some reason, something especially grim about pubs near stations, a very particular kind of grubbiness, a special kind of pallor to the pork pies. Worse than the pork pies, though, are the sandwiches. There is a feeling which persists in England that making a sandwich interesting, attractive, or in any way pleasant to eat is something sinful only foreigners do. Make them dry, is the instruction buried somewhere in the collective national consciousness. Make them rubbery. If you have to keep the buggers fresh, do it by washing them once a week. It is by eating sandwiches in pubs on Saturday lunchtimes that the British seek to atone for whatever their national sins have been. They're not altogether clear what those sins are and don't really want to know either. Sins are not the sort of things one wants to know about. But whatever sins they are, are amply atoned for by the sandwiches they make themselves eat. If there is anything worse than the sandwiches, it is the sausages which sit next to them. Joyless tubes, full of gristle, floating in a sea of something hot and sad, stuck with a plastic pin in the shape of a chef's hat. A memorial, one feels, for some chef who hated the world and died forgotten and alone among his cats on a back stair in Stepney. The sausages are for the ones who know what their sins are and wish to atone for something specific. There must be somewhere better, said Arthur. No time, said Fenny, glancing at her watch. My train leaves in half an hour. They sat at a small, wobbly table. On it were some dirty glasses and some soggy beer mats with jokes printed on them. Arthur got Fenny a tomato juice and himself a pint of yellow water with gas in it and a couple of sausages. He didn't know quite why. He bought them for something to do while the gas settled in his glass. The barman dunked Arthur's change in a pool of beer on the bar for which Arthur thanked him. All right, said Fenny, glancing at her watch. Tell me what it is you have to tell me. She sounded, as well she might, extremely sceptical, and Arthur's heart sank. Hardly he felt the most conducive setting to try to explain to her as she sat there, suddenly cool and defensive, That in a sort of -of out-of-body dream, he had had a telepathic sense that the mental breakdown she had suffered had been connected with the fact that, appearances to the contrary notwithstanding, the Earth had been demolished to make way for a new hyperspace bypass, something which he alone on Earth knew anything about, having virtually witnessed it from a Vogon spaceship, and that furthermore, both his body and soul ached for her unbearably, and he needed to go to bed with her as "'soon as was humanly possible.' "'Fenny,' he started. "'Oh, I wonder if you'd like to buy some tickets for our raffle. "'It's just a little one,' he glanced up sharply, "'to raise money for Angie, who's retiring. "'What? And needs a kidney machine.' He was being lent over by a rather stiffly slim middle-aged woman with a prim-knitted suit and a prim-little perm and a prim-little smile that probably got licked by prim-little dogs a lot. She was holding out a small book of cloakroom tickets and a collecting tin. Only ten pence each, she said, so you could probably buy even two without breaking the bank. She gave a tinkly little laugh and then curiously long sigh, saying without breaking the bank, had obviously given her more pleasure than anything since some G.I.s had been billeted on her in the war. Er, yes, all right, said Arthur, hurriedly digging in his pocket and producing a couple of coins. With infuriating slowness and prim theatricality, if there was such a thing, the woman tore off two tickets and handed them to Arthur. I do hope you win! she said, with a smile that suddenly snapped together like a piece of advanced origami. "'The prizes are so nice!' Yes, yeah, thank you,' said Arthur, pocketing the tickets rather brusquely and glancing at his watch. He turned towards Fenny. So did the woman with the raffle tickets. "'And what about you, young lady?' she said. "'It's Frangie's kidney machine. She's retiring, you see. Yes?' She hoisted the little smile up a little further on her face. She would have to stop and let it go soon, or the skin would surely split. "Uh, Look, here you are, said Arthur, and pushed a fifty-pence piece at her in the hope that it would see her off. Oh, we are in the money, aren't we? said the woman, with a long, smiling sigh. Down from London, are we? Arthur wished she wouldn't talk so bloody slowly. Case in point, Matthew. No, that's all right, really, he said with a wave of his hand, and she started with an awful deliberation to peel off five tickets. One by one. Oh, but you must have your tickets, insisted the woman, or you won't be able to claim your prize. They're very nice prizes, you know, very suitable. Arthur snatched the tickets and said thank you as sharply as he could. The woman turned to Fenny once again. And now, what about no, Arthur nearly yelled. These are for her, he explained, brandishing the five new tickets. Oh, I see, how nice. She smiled sickeningly at both of them. Well, I do hope you... Yes, snapped Arthur, thank you. The woman finally departed to the table next to theirs. Arthur turned desperately to Fenny and was relieved to see that she was rocking with silent laughter. He sighed sighed and smiled. (sighs) Where were we? You were calling me Fenny and I was about to ask you not to. What do you mean? She twirled the little wooden cocktail stick in her tomato juice. It's why I asked you if you're a friend of my brother's. "'or half-brother, really. "'He's the only one who calls me Fenny, "'and I'm not fond of him for it. "'So what's Fenchurch?' "'What?' "'Fenchurch.' "'Fenchurch?' "'She looked at him sternly. "'Yes,' she said, "'and I'm watching you like a lynx "'to see if you're going to ask me "'the same silly question that everyone asks me "'till I want to scream.' "'I shall be cross and disappointed if you do. "'Plus, I shall scream. "'So watch it.' "'She smiled, shook her hair a little forward over her face, "'and peered at him from behind it. "'Oh,' he said, "'that's a little unfair, isn't it?' "'Yes.' "'Fine.' "'All right,' she said with a little laugh. "'You can ask me. Might as well get it over with.' "'Better than have you call me Fenny all the time.' "'Presumably,' said Arthur, "'Oh, we've only got two tickets left, you see, "'and since you were so generous when I spoke to you before!' "'What?' snapped Arthur. "'The woman with the perm and the smile "'and the now nearly empty book of cloakroom tickets "'was waving the last two ones under his nose. "'I thought I'd give you the opportunity, "'because the prizes are so nice!' She wrinkled up her nose a little, a little confidentially. Very tasteful. I know you'll like them. And it is for Angie's retirement present, you see. We want to give her a, a kidney machine. Yes, said Arthur. Here. He held out two more 10 pieces to her and took the tickets. A thought seemed to strike the woman. It struck her very slowly. You could watch it coming in like a long wave on a sandy beach. "'Oh, dear,' she said. "'I'm not interrupting anything, am I?' She peered anxiously at both of them. "'No, it's fine,' said Arthur. "'Everything that could possibly be fine,' he insisted, "'is fine.' "'Thank you,' he added." I say, she said, in a delighted ecstasy of worry. You're not in love, are you? It's very hard to say, said Arthur. We haven't had a chance to talk yet. He glanced at Fenchurch. She was grinning. The woman nodded with knowing confidentiality. I'll let you see the prizes in a minute, she said and left arthur turned with a sigh back to the girl that he found it hard to say whether he was in love with you were about to ask me she said a question yes said arthur we can do it together if you like said fenchurch was i found "'In a handbag, joined in Arthur. "'In the left luggage office,' they said together, "'at Fenchurch Street Station,' they finished. "'And the answer,' said Fenchurch, "'is no.' "'Fine,' said Arthur. "'I was conceived there.' "'What?' "'I was con... "'In the left luggage office,' hooted Arthur.' "'No, of course not. Don't be silly. "'What would my parents be doing in the left luggage office?' she said, "'rather taken aback at the suggestion. "'Well, I don't know,' spluttered Arthur. "'Or or rather, it was in the ticket queue. "'The... the ticket queue? "'Or so they claim. "'They refuse to elaborate. "'They only say that you wouldn't believe how bored it is possible "'to get in the ticket queue at Fenchurch Street Station.' She sipped demurely at her tomato juice and looked at her watch. Arthur continued to gurgle for a moment or two. "'I'm going to have to go in a minute or two,' said Fenchurch. "'And if you haven't begun to tell me whatever this terrifically extraordinary thing is "'that you were so keen to get off your chest, you haven't even started yet.' Why don't you let me drive you to London, said Arthur. It's Saturday. I've got nothing particular to do. I'd... No, said Fenchurch. Thank you. It's sweet of you, but no. I need to be by myself for a couple of days. She smiled and shrugged. But you can tell me another time. I'll give you my number. Arthur's heart went... Boom, boom, churn, churn, as she scribbled seven figures in pencil on a scrap of paper and handed it to him. Now we can relax, she said with a slow smile, which filled Arthur till he thought he would burst. Fenchurch, he said, enjoying the name as he said it, I... "'A box,' said a trailing voice, "'of cherry brandy liqueurs. "'And also, I know you'll like this, "'a gramophone record of Scottish bagpipe music.' "'Yes, thank you. "'Very nice,' insisted Arthur. "'I just thought I'd let you have a look at them,' "'said the permed woman, "'as you're down from London and all.' "'She was holding them out proudly for Arthur to see. "'He could see that they were indeed "'a box of cherry brandy liqueurs "'and a record of bagpipe music.' That was what they were. I'll let you have your drink in peace now, she said, patting Arthur lightly on his seething shoulder. But I knew you'd like to see. Arthur re-engaged his eyes with Fenchurch's once again, and suddenly was at a loss for something to say. A moment had come and gone between the two of them, but the whole rhythm of it had been wrecked by that stupid... Blasted woman. Don't worry, said Fenchurch, looking at him steadily over the top of her glass. We will talk again. She took a sip. Perhaps, she added, it wouldn't actually have gone so well if it wasn't for her. She gave a wry smile and dropped her hair forward over her face again. It was perfectly true. He had to admit it was perfectly true. And that, ladies and gentlemen, in the spirit of me being sensible with my back and shoulders and everything, is where we'll leave it for this evening. Thank you once again for your company. Um, It means a hell of a lot to do this. I really enjoy it. I hope you guys do too. Um, Thanks for uh, listening along to my ramblings. Uh, once again, if you are able to support me and the work that I'm doing by becoming a patron, please do so by going to uh, patreon.com forward slash wit uh, and signing up. I would really appreciate that. In the meantime, uh, I will um, be back here same time next week, same time, same place, same channel I'm doing this stuff. Um, Have a great week in the meantime. Look after yourselves if you're under lockdown. Bear in mind that it's actually for all of our benefits. Look after yourselves. Be good to each other. Be considerate to everyone around you. We're all in the same boat. Um, And see you this time next week. Have a great week, everyone. Thank you very much.